Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of WA Expose, a podcast about local arts by local artists. As always, I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Our guest today lives and plays in Burulu, or Perth, and works with Performing Lions as a senior producer in WA. Most recently, he was Pika's general manager and previously the director of experimental arts and community arts within the Australian Council. A core theme of his career has been working closely with artists, organisations and communities to promote artistic bravery, self-determination and authentic representation to broker opportunities. Self-determination being a strong theme in our guest story, he first chose to identify as a disabled man in 2016. Prior to this, many others chose to label him as such on his behalf, mostly without his permission or consent. He now wonders why he waited for such a long time to embrace this part of his identity, and enjoys the company and support of many fierce and ferocious accomplices that are part of the community. He spent considerable time supporting initiatives and projects born out of regional and remote Australia, as well as developing and delivering key arts and disability programs. He is a graduate of WAPA and worked as a freelance lighting designer and project manager and creative producer in the early stages of his career. He is inspired by the new genres and aesthetics disabled artists and arts workers bring to their work, Discussions and debate across the sector are always richer when the voice of disabled people is centred. It's my absolute pleasure to be talking with Jeremy Smith. How are you, Jeremy? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm good. I'm so happy for being here. Oh, I forgot to tell you, if the heater is gets too warm, it was freezing when I got in here. <laughs> what if it gets too hot? I've will taken you just the beanie, I've taken the vest off, so I'm, I'm okay for Already, now. Like I can pretend I'm in a tropical island. I've That's gotten right my here. own burlesque routine from the moment you walked in. There's like <laughs> coming up. So if it gets too much, tell me, I will turn the heater off. I, d- I just walked in and I was like, oh my God. Just no. excuse me if I start stripping off as well in front of you. Yeah, oh, right. I mean, what privilege for me. I will not describe oh, it, it'll be my own treat. Right over here. <laughs> um, so for you, why a career in the arts? It all began, I've always been very creative. I remember my first, um, I guess, the thing I was first drawn to was visual arts. Um, in primary school, there was a children's uh, picture book author called Brian Wildsmith. And I just loved his illustrations and loved his series of books. And I found myself um, going to the library or or purchasing books with my parents more for the pictures as opposed to the words. Ah. And so that's sort of where it all started from there and then followed arts all through school. I think I'm right in saying I became the first male identifying person at that stage to do dance at my high school. Wow. Um, so that was, I think I did it in year 11 and 12. Shocking and then did the, you're so young. <laughs> I know. Um, Rocker Stedford and all those sorts of things. And then it was during Rocker Stedford where I performed in a couple and then um, fell into the role of lighting designer for our school's um, piece that went through mm. and was a finalist. 
And that year I won the Best Lighting Award for the Rock of Stedford and then so discovered that there was a course in lighting design at WAPA mm. and then off I went. And so I've just – WAPA's been the only sort of formal training I've had. I've mm. done other sort of coursework and things but then done a lot of on-the-job training in producing and arts management and all those sorts of things as well. So it's been a real exciting journey and I've not been ever a person to um, – try and imagine where I will be in five years' time. I think I just sort of like <laughs> let the breeze take me and and have been quite opportunistic and that's um, delivered me some really wonderful experiences and, and opportunities in the art sector. Yeah. yeah, and obviously working in the art sector, you've got to put on a bunch of different hats. Correct, that's right. Yeah, exactly, us. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and that's the, the exciting thing too. I think you can sort of help forge new paths um, just for yourself but also other people, yeah. Totally. Mm. And when you went through uh, WAPA, what was your institutionalised arts learning experience like? Look, at that stage, it was we had it was before the current campus had been um, redeveloped, and so we were on an annex on Newcastle Street, <laughs> and it was an old building which I think PVI sort of inherited for a period to be a. Um, it was called the CIA Artist Studios, and it was you know very interesting. I'm very old school, so I sort of practiced lighting design for. Um, and when I say old school, people laugh at me for this because I still buy DVDs, I still buy magazines, I don't subscribe to online streaming platforms and all that sort of thing, very tactile. <laughs> and so um, I, I really... I deliver the podcast to you via USB. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> cool. On a CD, can yeah. please. That's right. Um, I, you know, was very much into, I think my practice um, as a lighting designer was very much the um, hand drawing. Mm. Of all my plans, I took a great deal of care and enjoyment in doing that. And then also the selection of uh, what's called gels or colours for mm. the lights and everything because I sort of – there was this massive wad of, of gel swatches that you used to go through, you know, almost religiously every time I'd sort of like do a new design and select what colours I wanted the grid to be. And then when the imp- implementation of things like LED lighting, mm. robotic lights and then computer-aided design drawing, it just really – didn't interest me to sort of continue in the ah, space because yeah. a lot of that sort of um, process and enjoyment would have been taken away from me. And so yeah, you I don't sort get of to have a box full of cellophane. I know <laughs> exactly. So I sort of stepped away from it around that time and um, had already been working in other um, roles at that stage to you know sustain myself and whatnot anyway. So um, that was that. I sort of I, I do miss it because it was very much my own creative outlet. But um, you know, have no regrets, obviously, and. Um, one day may sort of come back and I threaten to sort of do a, a, a design full of old Fresnels and profile spots with gels. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Smith, the Exactly, experience. the special, that's yeah. right, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, obviously, lighting design is already a behind-the-scenes element, mm. but you sort of moved away into more like director, producer, creator roles. What has that sort of shift been like for you? It's been quite um, transformative, I guess, because at the time when I graduated from WAPA, look, this industry here was a bit of a closed shop and it was really hard to break through, as it still is in many sort of circumstances and ways. But I found that a lot of main stage companies were using, you know, the same designers time after time and I ended up going into a lot more independent independent and experimental um, spaces as a lighting designer. And through that, I think I sort of became aware of other opportunities mm. I fell into my first sort of, I guess, full-time role um, after doing a secondment with the Perth Festival 
in goodness me, 1998, <laughs> showing my age, um, as um, an assistant to the technical coordinator of that time, um, ended up on the front page of the West Australian with oh, a menagerie go. of animals because of, for a show that I was sort of working on during oh, no, that not festival. Not just by coincidence. Not just by coincidence. <laughs> just, oh my, my God, good looks and charm. Oh my God, yeah. come on. <laughs> Me and my... Uh, pigeons and rabbits and <laughs> ducks and geese oh, and so not the everything. Zoo, no. <laughs> not the zoo. No, no, no. It was like a magic act. Um, but then through that, sort of uh, started, I guess, doing on the job training around stage management and production management. So from there, went to Barking Gecko as well and was their resident lighting designer and stage manager for a period. Did a lot of touring um, across Queensland and other places with, with shows that were developed and produced during that stage. And then um, went to the Awesome Festival. Yeah. which still happens. Mm-hmm. And then that was, I still credit um, two people, Carolyn Chard and Gary Chard, uh, as being the people that really, I guess, um, put me on the path to where I am today because they had a, Carolyn was general manager of um, Parking Gecko at that stage um, and was the one that sort of, I guess, opened the door for me to go into that role, even though I wasn't a trained or experienced stage manager. Um, and then the sort of production manager and, and director at that stage too were, were incredibly um, welcoming of me and, and and really enjoyed working with them as well. But then Gary uh, encouraged me to apply for a fellowship when I was working at Awesome as a means to transform my skill set from being purely production-based to also, I guess, arts management-based. Ah, yeah. And that's when I did that, went to Canada for the Vancouver Children's Festival, I uh, spent three months over there through the support of a Young People in the Arts Fellowship, as I was young once. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and, still are, and st- Oh, at heart, that's right. Um, and then came back and started working on the round program, um, the Creative Challenge. Um, so wow. that was where I first began, I guess, working closely with artists and as a producer and I guess more of a um, management, as you say, director type role um, through yeah. that program. So Massive. from there, and then yeah, I've just like I said, followed my nose ever since, and gone into arts funding roles, both at state government level, and then spent four years most recently at the Australia Council as their head of experimental art and community art, and so that sort of really allowed me to, I guess, work closely with artists in a support scaffolding type role, which I really enjoy, and that's the. Brings me to where I am now with performing yeah. arts. Is yeah. that a lot of experience of you just trying to remove a bunch of red tape in terms of yep. language barriers and all that sort of stuff? All that, that connecting and brokering yeah. opportunities for artists and then being very present. I think that's the thing too because I think so often a lot of people in those roles aren't seen um, mm. but heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually getting out there and a key part of the role when I was at Osco was um, – sector engagement, really, yeah. and then getting out and seeing the work that was being developed and, and funded or not funded, <laughs> um, and then being part of the conversations and seeing what opportunities you could do. You know, money was tight, mm. um, still is, um, and then but how other wa- ways you can support um, independent artists, organisations, groups, communities um, to, to make great work. Completely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so there's so much there that we could we could exactly. dive into in like so many different ways. Um, but one of the things that really got my attention when reading all three bios that you sent me plus your <laughs> anti bio, which I have all smooshed together when you hear it. I can't wait. <laughs> smooshed together into you're like, oh my gosh, I love, that before I approve yeah. approve that nonsense that you did. Um my nonsense. No, I love nonsense. <laughs> uh, so when you 
we're moving into more of a, a creative development sort of side of things as as you are now. Mm. Um, how are you finding interacting with like artists who are coming up? Because as you said, mm. arts engagement's really important. A lot of them forget that we even have an arts sector. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's I think I feel um, almost within a role that I've got a civic duty, mm. um, you know, to be there and support um, not just the next generation but still mid-career and established artists as well totally. because I think there's so much that can be still brokered and opportunities that can be gained and then so much to learn as well. I mean, like I've chosen a path that has um, been in, you know, um, salaried positions. I've sort of really um, – I'm incredibly um, – what's the word um, – respectful and um, almost jealous of people that choose an independent life of, <laughs> of art, arts practice and whatnot because that's just something I don't think my anxiety could ever cope with. So, <laughs> so, okay, um, so many saying the exact same And then, you know, <laughs> that's the thing that it is a massive privilege mm. to be in a salaried role and work closely with independent artists and other organisations in that space. And so I do find that sort of being available for those conversations and helping make those connections is something that I just should and, and need to do and be seen doing, yeah. Yep. Is there a, a shift back? So I know that um, some of the larger companies more in more recent spaces have taken a lot of their design aspects where they've purchased from outside of Western Australia. So, like, we've had, like, great concepts and things. I'm sure they're fantastic. But instead of, like, hiring local design teams and lighting teams and that sort of stuff, we'll just buy something that we know already works from mm the eastern states and we'll mm. buy something from overseas and just import it, which I'm assuming would be almost more expensive than hiring incredible local It talent. is. I think we're still trying to, you know, uh, there's two sides to that coin. I think we're absolutely, you know, we need to be nourished by things that we're not producing here and seeing what mm. other people are doing in other parts of, you know, the country and, and indeed the world. But also I think um, we found that through the, the pandemic years, <laughs> if we're going to go there, um, Everyone is completely exhausted because of the fact that people were doing three or four gigs simultaneously, which would normally have been supported by bringing in other people from other states or, or overseas because obviously that two-year period, that wasn't able to happen. Mm. And so I think a lot of people have been burnt out and just left the business because of that time that they were just so overworked and so overcommitted and so, I guess, underappreciated by you know, forms of government support and and aid and all those sorts of things. So I think it's it's very interesting. I mean, when I was at the Australia Council, as I said, I got to travel across Australia extensively. And, you know, I think sometimes you can get um, blinkered and stay in your own lane without sort of knowing other people that you could connect with or other mm -hmm. people that you could sort of learn from or other people that you could indeed collaborate with as well. And that's the thing I think, you know, the whole sense of what is touring now in a post-pandemic world, I've just come from the Australian Performing Arts Market in Melbourne um, last week and everyone's talking more now about legacy and reciprocity and okay. and not necessarily touring but mobility. Mm. Um, but I guess it's that whole thing about, you know, what is the impact of bringing in a big show mm. but then, you know, both from a carbon perspective but then also a labour perspective but then also what is the um, legacy of that exchange, you know, what's it going to leave behind? Um, how's it going to engage not just audiences but communities in the local sector and those sorts of things. So I think a lot of people are now more um, cognisant of that and trying to factor that into the way that they bring um, works not from here into this sort of um, community of practice. Yeah, It's really interesting when you said legacy. It's like I haven't even considered maybe just where I'm at currently mm, in my own mm. place in the, in the world and in the art sector in general, but I haven't actually considered the word legacy 
in terms of the artwork that we put out. What, mm. what has been the legacy footprint, do you think, that WA has had previously? Oh, it's so multifaceted, I guess. Yeah. It's just that thing where, um, you know, around depends on there's been vanguards and experimental practice. I also proudly wear a hat of being the chairperson of PVI Collective, um, who are an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary um, artist-led organisation in here in Bulu in North Perth. And, you know, they have been trailblazers in their space for 30 years and there are mm. so many uh, organisations that have really carved out a niche for themselves and put, you know, I hate to say it, it's that old thing, Perth on the map. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but indeed, I think that's the, you know, we've got that whole luxury and tyranny of distance um, mm. where that sort of does have its pros and cons, I think, for, for the work that we produce here because it's bloody expensive to get work out of WA, but even touring within WA when you consider how vast our state is that we're one-third of the landmass of of Australia and I guess the the whole concept of, you know, like I said, I mean, it's no good, I don't think, in this day and age to just do a FIFO model of zipping into a community, doing show and zipping out. Mm. How are you going to engage that place um, and and leave something behind. Totally. Well, we found mm. that that model, like, extensively hasn't worked in, in the past at all. I know that touring festivals such as Gascoin and May have spent over 10 years developing relationships, even in though they only tour for, like, five or six That's weeks. That's the thing. It's a slow it's, burn. It's exactly. You can't sort of burn, yeah. make it a transactional type approach anymore. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Mm. It's mm. something that, like, um, I remember the first time that I did one of those touring stints just being like, oh, great, you're here to teach our choir for a week. And like, oh, yeah, I am. And then I'll go away and I'll see you next year. And I guess just for the <laughs> all of the other weeks of the year, what, they just don't get to have one? Or exactly, it's yeah. That, that's, yeah it's sort of, and it's good that people are starting to think about that and question that now because mm. I think there's been such a long period where that hasn't been the case. Mm. But, I mean, Legacy can also talk about, you know, how um, we're changing what we're physically putting on our stage. Mm-hmm. Different bodies, different... Um, stories and, and, you know, different communities and all that sort of thing as well. So I think, you know, I sort of say talk about structural adjustment as a means to forcing change but then how you embed that and ensure that it's not just a one-off. Yeah, Yeah, incredibly Mm. important. And in your extensive travels, have you seen like the perception of what WA Arts is change a lot over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that... um, it's strange because we've been rolling with the punches over the last few years, mm. but no one's been able to come in and look. And so, like I said, that was at the Australian Performing Arts Market last week and they um, that was the first time a lot of us have been able to get back together face-to-face because yeah. for the last three years all these marketplaces and sector gatherings have been virtual and, you know, grids and grids and grids of Zooms and Teams meetings and all that sort of <laughs> thing. And so actually... It's interesting that like, none of us now sort of determined that we're not match fit anymore for these sort of big totally. in-person gatherings. And even then with the most of so many people in the arts also being neurodiverse, a bunch of boxes oh, absolutely. on the screen, it's, it's just really so, hectic. It's too much. It's really <laughs> hectic, exactly. And so I think that um, people are sort of reconnecting now and just sort of seeing what the lost years have produced in terms of um, new works and, and, and new artists indeed as well. Completely. And I think it's on that we're going to throw to our break. When we come back, I want to talk all about Perth and what we can do to make it better. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online 
you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. I'm still joined with the incredible Jeremy Smith. Oh, um, please. Wearing fantastic glasses oh, that I have, keep staring at because I'm like, there's a really cool shape because they're not like circular, but they're not. No, there's square. a little straight bit across the top of my brow. That's Why? right, exactly. <laughs> not like my Everybody life. Everybody needs a little straight bit. <laughs> just a little, just a little just straight a little bit, exactly. Straight that's right. Just a tiny little one. Sneaky straight bit, that's right. <laughs> Uh, at the beginning of most of our careers, there's a tiny straight bit. And then we just exactly, and then just bend away <laughs> for the rest away, of our exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to have a chat about the Perth art scene. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, as somebody who has seen it from many, many different perspectives yeah. and from like an outside view as well, what yeah. are you loving that Perth is doing currently? Um, look, I think that Perth is really on the cusp of many great things. I think that... Um, in my current job where I am now, we're performing Lance WA, where I'm the senior producer. We, I guess, have taken um, to heart our role of needing to be um, the change we want to see within mm. the sector. Mm-hmm. And so I guess um, instead of talking about it continually, we've tried to sort of actually put actions in place and, you know, the, our remit is to support independent artists mm-hmm. to develop present commission to a um, new new works um, of multiple scales. So it could be a one-person show, it could be a sort of forehander, or it could be a, um, a large-scale work. Um, and I think we had a, uh, through the pandemic years, we had an initiative called Kolyong, which is um, the Noongar word for, Noongar word, sorry, for Golden Wattle. Um, and it was essentially uh, working with independent artists and producers in the sector to, um, I guess, provide a fee, importantly, and time and space, but then without the pressure of outcomes. So it was a chance to connect, wow. a chance to develop and a chance to um, explore new terrain, have important conversations of things that were affecting them. And through that, there's been, I think, a lot of agitation and reconnection across the sector because I think one thing that independent artists sort of yearn for is pathways into companies into mm. venues mm. and and that's where it's just I guess it's sort of you know it's been three years um this year is sort of a bit of a paused or hiatus year but then hopefully we'll be returning in 2024 with a new model of delivery but that's been a really incredible experience I came in part way through it in 2021 um after the first uh two editions and sort of uh, came in at the tail end of the second and 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 
was in the role during the delivery of the third in 2022. I think those sorts of initiatives where I said before it's about um, being the change you want to be and then also, you know, forcing change and Mm -hmm. in the sense of creating an interruption or an intervention to adjust things and then hopefully um, support it to a point where it becomes a lot more, um, I hate the word, but normalised. Yeah. You know, where mm-hmm. there were sort of specific, we had a lab, an artist lab that was uh, run for three years. The first two years focused on emerging um, artists and arts workers from First Nations and culturally diverse backgrounds and it was just time and place for them to gather in a safe space um, to connect with uh, industry Mentors, mm. I think, for people that, you know, and a lot of it too was about sort of non-identifying mentors in terms of white, cis, able-bodied um, totally, mentors. Yeah. But then I guess part of that was then so that if they bump into those people in a foyer or in an event, then there's got a familiar face for them to feel, you know, supported, welcome and, and connected and then also to help broker other opportunities for that mm. cohort um, beyond. In 2022, we worked with early career and emerging disabled and neurodiverse artists, which was extraordinary where we brought in a group of, um, like I said before, non-identifying ally artists to support that cohort of 10 artists to explore ideas, connections, but then importantly we were able to on all three occasions of the lab, integrate that cohort um, into the broader Collion Creative Hub, which was about, you know, mid-career established artists, mm-hmm. but all about creating new opportunities, networks and, and pathways um, for that cohort of um, identifying lab artists as well. Wow, quite literally about smashing down the idea of like, you, it's who you know, it's all about who you know. <coughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And sort of really, I guess, sort of changing power, changing... Mm-hmm. Um, opportunity and really um, breaking down a lot of those, um, look, sometimes myths, but also um, structures that were not sort of supporting um, those specific cohorts of artists. And I say this broadly in terms of independent artists, but also those from different backgrounds and abilities as well, I guess, to, to sort of like really support them and, and, and forge new opportunities and pathways for, for them to be part of our wonderful arts industry. Completely. And you mentioned the idea of like without the pressure of outcomes. Which Correct. I think is yeah, that's really important because really I think a lot of those opportunities are often tied with tight timelines and having to deliver an outcome or an output or series of outputs. And so it was just basically time, place, space um, and and a fee. Yeah. And, and that way it would be forcing people to in an art space, which is supposed to be against norm and against type into if you make them have an outcome, then you're sort of putting them back in like, okay, a capitalist, westernised idea of what arts look like because yep. it's about what dollar is at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing is that there's not enough opportunity this day and age and, and if there are, they're very extremely competitive and very seriously sort of small um, for, for artists and arts workers to sort of come together and just have that opportunity to sit and talk and, and, and or also germinate new ideas as well. And so, you know, there's been incredible... Uh, projects that have emerged from the three iterations of Col Young, which is really extraordinary, and you know some of them have gone on to um, be main stage works, and you know uh, new opportunities within companies and all those sorts of things. It's great. This might be a really good chance just to like give a big plug to performing lines, just because I know that there are a lot of, um, especially queer artists who work in like drag and burlesque spaces who don't often get to like 
see or know of these incredible organisations. So shout yourself out a bit. Let's do that. Oh, so we're a national mm-hmm. organisation and I head up the WA office. Uh, we've been here for, I think, about 15 years now. Um, we're based at the King Street Arts Centre. And so our model is essentially to be the engine room of the independent arts sector. So we work with a series of independent artists to develop, present, commission and tour work. Um, but also we've got a very big industry development role as well and those sorts of things that we have talked about earlier around Kolyong. We've done producer training uh, platforms and then we do other brokerage and, and opportunity, connecting opportunities as well. So I guess we've got quite a, a suite of offerings. We're a very small and nimble team. It's myself and three colleagues. Wow. Um, so, you know, we punch well above our weight in the sorts of um, outputs and outcomes that we do. We, you know, in 2021, we premiered six new works. Um, this year we had two works in the Perth Festival program which was um, Equations of a Falling Body by the gorgeous Laura Boynes and then also um, Wonderbox with our long-term partners in Sorium Theatre as well. Mm. So it's been great and so I think it's that really incredible opportunity for artists that do not have that sort of infrastructure of a company around them or behind them to still have that support and we provide all forms of, um, um, you know, support to those artists, be it, funding applications and acquittals, but then also as a producer, we also do a lot of the negotiations and liaisons with venues and contracting and all those sorts of things so that the artist can just be and create and make and that sort of thing too. Yeah, and a a lot of conscious um, decisions we've been making in more recent years has been about, I guess, uh, like I said, being the change we want to see in terms of selecting a broader cohort of artists that we work with so that we are representative of our entire society as well. Yeah. Totally, completely. I'm such a big fan of performing lines. Oh, thank you. Um, which isn't trying, which isn't me sucking up um, at all, promise. Uh, <laughs> I'll keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Um, so let's do probably what, what is my favourite part of the show because I think it can get really interesting. Um, what would we like to see broadly done better in the Perth art scene? It doesn't have to be just performing lines. It's just a wide perception. From your, your perspective, obviously, too. Look, I think um, I think the whole concepts of allyship and being a good accomplice and mm. in terms of what you... And, and I spoke at a gathering um, last year and the provocation was how to be a good ancestor. And I did quite a mic drop um, provocation around, you know, that whole concept of if you are in a position of privilege or power, what can you do to make tomorrow better for certain parts of our sector? Mm. And so I think a lot more people in our sector need to be cognizant of that, that they do hold power, that they can make decisions and that they can um, create a better tomorrow or a better horizon for a lot of um parts of our sector that are often overlooked or underrepresented or um, or left behind. Um, I think the whole concept of changing the way that we work for from, you know, time-based to what is slow, what does it mean to be, uh, to care, to centre access in all its forms, all those sorts of things I think we often put on the back burner because of the pressure of delivery Mm. but how we can centre that a lot more in our day-to-day and be a lot more cognisant. And then I guess the whole concept as well of labour. Yeah. And whose shoulders that labour should rest on. 
Um, so often it's up to the disabled person in the room to speak up and say this is an accessible or this is an inclusive or, you know, for the person from, you know, um, a culturally diverse background to say I don't feel safe and so I guess it's then how we can all be good allies and good um, accomplices to those sorts of parts of our industry um, and support that in, in not necessarily an overt, but it can be quiet. You know, you don't have to be a hero and sort of spook that you're doing all the change and everything like that. But I guess how you can sort of get about your day to day. And look, I've got so much to learn too around working with um, uh, my peers and friends from, um, you know, who are First Nations Australians. Um, and then also from those that are also from backgrounds other than Australian, you know, um, as well. So... Um, I obviously need to sort of, you know, preface the fact that I am a cis white male and so that sort of gives me a certain position in our industry as well. But, you know, from from that perspective I need to also take my lived experience as a disabled man as well and sort of see how that can then influence the way that I behave and act and um, create opportunity. Labor's a really interesting one yeah. and it is, yeah, you said it beautifully, it is often up to the person who is being excluded in a situation yeah. to suddenly put their voice forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we then balance that with the idea that we're currently so obsessed with um, words and terminology and using like these great yeah. buzzwords and like having them displayed on all of our posters yeah. that it's diverse and that it's integral yeah. and that it's this and that, but the actual action of doing it seems to still be falling kind of short. Mm. Not a question you have to have an answer to. <laughs> no, that's the thing too. I think <laughs> it's just that thing where you don't have to make a deal about it and you can mm-hmm. just actually do something that would make a difference. Yeah, you don't need to be the person putting the 50 in the church hand exactly. out buckets screaming about how it's a 50. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. That's right. And that's the thing too. I think a lot of people, um, you know, stray into territory of being performative. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, you don't have to. And that's mm. the thing. I think, you know, it can be something that can be behind closed doors but makes an impact to mm. so many people even quietly or, you know, the smallest gesture can can make a huge difference in, in, in parts of our industry. I always end up throwing back to this quote but I'm going to put it in here again. It's from, from Malika Moon who's an incredible um, performer and woman of colour who's been on this show who always says that just because you put us in your space does not mean your space is safe for us. Absolutely. Um, and I will always, and I will keep putting it on this show, and I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times and you're sick of me saying it. I think it's really Well, that's, I, really I mean, important. something that I constantly say as well is nothing about us without us. Mm, mm-hmm. um, a very wise man once said that to me in a, in a conversation, and I've sort of really held on to that because I think that's so applicable in so many senses. One hundred percent, yeah. yeah. And mm. it's in your, it's also in your anti bio, yes. in a roundabout way. Um, I've got to find it now. It's in the last paragraph of your anti bio, which I absolutely love. Um, that yeah, discussions and debates across the sector are always richer when the voice of the disabled person is centred. And I did use that part in your bio oh, earlier because it's like you. it's my honestly it's one of my favourite yeah. parts of the bio. And mm. if we're here like, just for a second, do you yeah. mind if I touch on the anti bio? No, go for it. Absolutely. And like, your yeah. thoughts behind you writing it because yeah. it's incredibly powerful and it will be in the show notes. And I think everyone should oh, read it. Thank you. Mm. Look, I think that was a. Um, I did. Uh, almost it was a keynote, I think, for a meeting place, which is by Arts Access Australia, Mm. which is a national peak body for arts and disability. Um, It was during the pandemic, so during lockdown, where Bruno Booth and I were asked to... um, Well, initially it was me that was asked to deliver a keynote, and I just hate being a talking head. (laughs) People are sick of my voice. Sorry, everyone, for listening to this now. Um, But I I just wanted to really mix up what the um, concept of a keynote would be, and so I asked Bruno Booth, who's an artist here in Perth, to join me, and we wanted to really disrupt the norm, and so we both came up with this whole concept of 
as a leaping off point writing our antibios, mm. which were the things that were often seen but not written or heard or mentioned. And so we both wanted to sort of put that context out there. And so I wrote this in one evening, I think. That's and it was amazing how easily it just sort of slipped off the tips of my fingers. Oh, man. Um, and it was really, it's really interesting to know sort of people that um, um, have chosen to use this and sort of have come back to it. And actually it's led to um, an opportunity to write a chapter for an upcoming book, which will be released next year about Ooh, why, why label. I know it's going to be called the, it's a companion piece to an initial publication called The Relationship is the Project, which is the whole concept of different communities. It's being edited and co-authored by a whole group of amazing people, but then edited by Kate Larson and, um, and Jade Lilly. And so it'll nice. be out in April next year. Ooh. Keep an eye out for it. Um, and yeah, my, chapter is about labels and so I think that's a lot of it as well as that people impose labels on um, mm. people without their consent and as I write in here I mean that was part of what my sort of lived experience is because I didn't identify as disabled sadly for a myriad of reasons until the age of 39 but people were identifying me for their own benefit um, prior to that mm. and I think this has really, by writing that and putting that out there in my anti-bio, that's really um, made a lot of people aware, I think. And that's the whole thing is one of the reasons that Bruno and I did it is that we sort of wanted to provoke and be the antithesis of what a shiny bio normally is in a conference mm -hmm. program or a, yeah. um, you know, talking all about your hero moments and your totally. achievements and accomplishments and all that sort of thing. We thought, what is the exact opposite of that? Mm. Um, and voila. Which got... still accurately talks about your achievements somehow. Well, exactly. So that's they're, right. They're, yeah, they're yeah, 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 yeah. Stuck in there. It's like I still, you know, still got to be prefect. It's interesting. I mean, because in our space, it's, it's uh, um, you know, you think, oh, my God, you've still done all that and you're a disabled person. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm yeah. proud of you. Well, you know, exactly. Gross. Uh, yeah. Grossly. Hi, I didn't need you to be exactly. proud of me. I don't no, know exactly. you. <laughs> Not my mum. No, I don't know what we're doing here. Pity. Yeah. <laughs> proud of me. Exactly. Just, I remember once met. I walked the City to Surf 12K course and <laughs> I told a person like about a week later or something like that and they started crying. What? Oh, my God, you walked all that way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. I was sort oh of in a meeting and went, oh, goodness me. Like, great. Yeah. Cool. Now all your emotional experience is my problem exactly, to deal that's with. Right, yes. Now it's like not only a labour just to talk to you, but it's an emotional labour because oh, now I have to fix you. God, exactly. And the feelings that you're feeling in this moment. That's right. <laughs> cool. So uh, note to all Perth artists, stop having feelings about stuff. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Get angry. I get real mad. Exactly. And then do stuff. Exactly. And Break the mould. Mm. Disrupt. Interrupt all the things exactly, but do it in a safe way. Yes, obviously, put, your, put what you need first yes. in all of that. Um, on that incredibly powerful get angry note, where can people find you if you want to be found? Some people don't want to be found. I like my Instagram and all that sort of yeah, thing. Instagram. Oh, yeah, plug, cool. Plug stuff. Um, so I'm on Instagram. I do apparently you mean you're not from on all TikTok? accounts. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm a '70s baby. God, <laughs> I still buy DVDs. As I said, geez. Um, no, so I'm on Instagram. Apparently, I've got a strong meme game. Um, right. People sort of enjoy that and tune in. So people have said that they've remained on Instagram, but purely to watch my meme game on my stories, <laughs> which I'm very proud about. That's sort of one of my life achievements, I think. Um, at Jezalu, J-E-Z-Z-A-L-O-U underscore seven seven. 
And then I've just revealed my age. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't even know if that's something people do anymore. It's either the license plate with, like, the name exactly, and then, like, the 94 right. or whatever you yeah. put it in the top there. Yeah. yeah. You could have gotten away with that, I reckon. I know. You would have been like, yeah. oh, my God. There, people are going to be like, Lucky he's 77. Seven. I know. He's 77? <laughs> well, well, they'll be proud of you for a whole different host of reasons. But thank you so much for joining thank me Thank you today for having me. on the show and sharing all of your incredible knowledge with us because there's some, there's some really good shit in there. I love it. Oh, oh no, now I have you. to put a little I love e. good shit. Now I've got to put a little E in the box. Explicit. <sighs> oh, we said shit. The whole world's going to burn. <laughs> As always, if you like this podcast, you can rate and review on whatever podcasting app you're listening on or the CD that I send Jeremy in the post. Um, <laughs> and tune in next week for another episode of WA Expose. Thank y'all. Hi. WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlett.com forward slash WA Expose. My favourite part is when people go, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. What? That's actually a really valid answer. Exactly. Not often enough do I ever say I don't know. <laughs> I go, oh, fine, yeah. Say pass. I know that's <laughs> <laughs> no. not often. It's right, yeah. I'll figure it out. <laughs>